podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today we are doing yet another FBL team reveal as game week one beckons and I'm joined by a very familiar face in as a black box star, uh, formerly video editor at Fantasy Football Scout as well. Uh, so a man who knows what it means to do my job on a day-to-day basis. So there's lots <laughs> of uh, things we could talk about today as, but we're going to talk about your team primarily. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I can't see you on Zoom, which is already, you know, giving me uh chills because i remember I, I used to start with that until i <laughs> found a way to to do it but it's fine you know i'm not gonna not gonna hear micromanage you it's all good you do it how you want <laughs> he's, not, no, he's all... not gonna micromanage you that's good <laughs> no all, all, all good all good my uh team is not settled in any way so i think the team reveal term is a bit loose for this one um but hopefully i can offer some reasoning behind some of my picks because i'm already getting some stick uh, for some of them so interesting to see what you say you know what it really wouldn't be an fpl preseason without you specifically getting stick for your opinions because you do <laughs> like you do like a spicy opinion don't you as yeah the trouble is i i, I double down on them you know you, there's people that come in and say oh you're not going to start with that play you're not going to do that and that just feeds into it more and i end up you know starting with with players that I, I probably shouldn't do but that's what i love about game week one it's you know trying to find that that player isn't it or those couple of picks that just go against the ones that everyone's got to try and get ahead at the start it doesn't always work out like that often you can end up behind and scrambling around to try and get the, the template picks but you've got to have one or two players in your team who you're actually a little bit excited about i think I mean, that is something that very much is part of the as branding because, you know, that is a, everybody knows what as means. You know, as comes to the party, you know what you're going to get. You've got to have some picks that are a little bit more exciting than just to do with numbers and covering this and covering that. So I'm looking forward to seeing who you got on your team. I know it's going to be a spicy one. You've already been teasing some of it uh, on social media as well. Um, we should also just point out, by the way, as is actually quite good at FBL. He's not just the guy that walks in with, you know, spicy picks everywhere and, you know, open up a <laughs> spicy food restaurant. Uh, he's finished in the top. Top 5k four times um so yeah any particular tips that have helped contribute to that do you think any sort of recurring themes for your most successful campaigns yeah i mean my my finishes have been sort of quite decent i'd say kind of throughout the the years of playing but they do vary quite a lot you know the last three seasons i've had two finishes in and around sort of 150k and then before that i had like a 15k finish and a 4k finish so i'm kind of a bit up and down but that is kind of how I like to to play the game I'd rather be pushing for the the bigger finishes and and you know be in and around the top 5k than kind of plateauing out and finishing I don't know 60 70 which are still good ranks and I, I don't blame people for for doing that but I like to kind of push a little bit more and sometimes it works sometimes it it doesn't but in terms of strategies I, I just do my research and 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 and, and try my best to back things that I'm seeing on the pitch and in, in the stats. And, you know, it, it's worked well last few years. You know, look at you just have to look at my the wall sort of behind me. The likes of Porro came through in the end last year. You know, Reese James, I got on him before uh, Matoma again last season. Um that's not me blowing my own horn because there's been plenty of players that have, have been absolutely awful. Sabios rings a <laughs> massive bell. I was going absolutely mad about him and it, it it doesn't work out. But to me that's what FPL is about, backing yourself doing your research and trying to find those players that 
the models and other people uh, are being a bit kind of reluctant to to take a punt on. Yeah, and of course that uh, attitude uh, got you to 817th, I think it was, in the world in 1718 season. I suppose the big question is, as what do you say to the people that say you're still dining out on that? I would say I'm. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was an amazing season because that was when Brighton that was Brighton's first year in the in the Premier League. So it was my my best season in FPL. I had the uh, ID of 69 as well <laughs> and i got my best finish so you know what can you what more can you you ask for out of those three but yeah i mean things you know sometimes things just just go your way and and the picks you make come in and you end up building value then at the end of the season your team has more value in it than, than others and that can help it doesn't always help but it it can help with the kind of free hits and choices and things like that and there's often like a few key game weeks in the week and if you can kind of do quite solidly throughout most and then really nail the big big weeks the free hit weeks or the bench boost weeks or something like that then you end up having a, a really good season so a lot a lot of luck that year but yeah that was a that was a particularly good year that one i mean i have to say to anyone who says fpl's not scripted i mean come on idea of 69 brighton's first year in the premier league and you finish 817th i mean i know well, i mean i'm just i'm just asking questions you know like um, i know who, it's who, written who in the knows? stars <laughs> written in the stars that season yeah if a sitcom series was an fbl season it would be that for sure um <laughs> so yeah but of course you know you've obviously had a lot of um had you know in terms of assessing an fpl season you've done it kind of as someone who started off as a fan uh just kind of of fpl content and you very much sort of in and around fantasy football scout in a kind of moderator sense and then you get mm-hmm. thrust into the limelight on the scout cast and now of course you do uh, black box on a weekly basis with with mark as well he's actually signed in on zoom it's it came up it said mark southerns i got very yep. excited and then it was and then it was just and you're me and you're I'm me you. on zoom i'm still you <laughs> it still says as a fantasy football scout but my i mean that's, legacy lives on there yeah. we are but, that, but that's all part of my other question is that you again i, I suppose a bit like me have kind of had this dynamic of going through fantasy football and changing how your life interacts with it in some way and I think sometimes we can forget about that we're all sort of interested in you know this player that player but um yeah I mean what's that been like in terms of that that journey and I suppose now it's kind of gone in the opposite direction for yourself because you um now full-time is you're not in FPL anymore and mm. has this pre-season been a bit different for you um have you been able to sort of assess things in a more at a distance way does that help does that hinder you like what's that been like I think it's 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 a lot being in the kind of role that you're in and, and being full time at Scout. And I was I was there for two years and you know really enjoyed enjoyed being part of the team. But I did find that kind of merging the hobby and the and the career was was quite difficult. And Mark had the same when he was doing FPL um, stuff, you know, for the official FPL and trying to manage Scout and things. And you know it can be quite taxing, which is stupid really because it's fantasy football and it's a you know it's a stupid game at, at times and he's moving shirts around a, a screen and all that but when it becomes your kind of life and you're doing content every day and you know i think at the moment on twitter i'm seeing you know content creators getting quite a lot of stick from from people but you know you've got to remember these people are doing something they're passionate in it's not easy making these videos and trying to think of content and trying to be different to everyone else is is often tricky especially when a lot of the people watching do want team selection videos and team reveal videos so there's always a trade-off between trying to do something innovative and, and trying to give people kind of what what they want and what get views what gets views so yeah it's it's a tricky balance i've really enjoyed this preseason, um though i have to say i think i've i've taken a bit of a step back um from things i've been watching loads of pre-season games i've really enjoyed the, the summer series for example newcastle chelsea you know brighton playing in that premier league teams versus premier league teams i think it's been a really good addition um to it 
and I've just been tinkering with my team, but not having to worry about, you know, showing my team on every stream that I'm doing and, and that I kind of can just leave it for a few weeks and kind of assess how it, how it changes. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a fun preseason, but I'm, I am concerned that normally by this point, I've got a pretty strong idea of what I want to, who I want going into the season. And this year I, I, I literally, there's about six or seven spots, which could end up changing in my side. So yeah, it'd be interesting to talk about it. Yeah, that's what that's what we want to hear. We want to hear about dilemmas and coin flips and so many dice rolls. Um, and, some people right. seem so like locked in with, with their teams, you know, and haven't changed them, done one draft, and they can't see themselves changing. And I'm just the complete opposite of that. A couple more difficult questions to clear up before we get into the nitty gritty. Uh, what do you say to the conspiracy theory that me and you aren't friends anymore because I quote stole your job? Yeah, well, it's it's actually in my pro pundit contract that I have to do this video with you. So <laughs> we'll just we'll just leave we'll just leave it there. Very nice, very nice. And I suppose the one final <laughs> conspiracy theory, what do you say to the people who think we're not friends anymore because I famously took you off the pitch at Game Week thirty nine in the first season, which mm. robbed you of the opportunity to get a clean sheet. Are you over that yet? I'm, I'm over that one. I'm over that one. We won that game, you know, that you, you had to you, you know, it's what you get paid for to make the, the big calls. Uh, I'm still not over finding out from Hindu Monkey that I was benched <laughs> uh, in the in the last game. Um, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk we'll talk about that off there. So so to conclude, <laughs> mine and Naz's friendship is in a really good place. As you can tell. <laughs> yeah, um, it's in a really all really is good fine. Place. All yeah. is all is fine and and well. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to some other dilemmas then. <laughs> Never look at your team uh, in its current form, uh, and we have to start. We have to start in the very obvious place, which you've already teased on social media, mm. of course that no Brighton attackers what's going on yeah it's it it's a tough one because obviously Brighton have got an incredible run of games early on you know, Luton at home uh, and, and Wolves I mean they're two teams I'm I'm tipping for for relegation sometimes we see priority teams starting strongly and Luton had a good defense last year um, and I think we should win that game you know sort of fairly comfortably it's a really tough game for them to come to first my issue isn't so much with our, you know, our, our kind of performances in those games, whether I think we'll win, lose or draw. I'm a bit concerned that we've lost McAllister and um, Colwell. And there's, there's all these things about Casado. I think that does harm us. Um, but we made some we made some decent signings in, in De Hood and, and Pedro coming in. So I think we'll, we'll perform well. So my, my kind of hesitancy to recommend a Brighton player isn't anything to do with the fact that I think we're going to struggle in these games. My worry is, is that Matoma has been a frustrating asset for us for quite a while he, he came into the team burst into the team really strongly um sort of after the the world cup last year um had a really you know great purple patch where he was scoring incredible goals um really good stats you know he was five million um at the start of the season and then kind of made a mockery um of that tag but then towards the end of the season he he really did dip off and i do think a big part of it was the fact that teams kind of just worked him out he's got a, a he's i mean he's an incredible dribbler but he's as i as i kind of uh, there's, a, there's a good thread on Twitter about him. He's got this move, which is he gets the ball, he holds it up, sudden explosion of pace, cuts the ball back or drills it across the, the penalty area for a, either a tap in um, or someone on the edge of the area to kind of uh, strike it in. And he hasn't really been scoring many goals at all himself. He's becoming more and more reliant on that move and other people to kind of finish it. And I just wonder if that is enough. When I'm looking at the midfield, looking at the amount of options we have in midfield, is that really enough to say that he's going to be a player who I because I think there's going to be 6.5, 7.5 million midfielders who over the first five or six game weeks could get a goal or an assist in almost every game 
they play. Do I think Mitoma is capable of reliably returning? He hasn't done it yet. He's chipped in with a couple of assists pre-season, but he's not really that like talismanic figure for Brighton. He hasn't got the set pieces. He hasn't got penalties, obviously. And players like Mbomo um, have. He's playing for a team in, in a bit of transition um, as well. So that's why I'm put off him. And then I look at all the other assets and I just don't know who's going to start for us. Buenanote has been playing. So does that mean March is, is a bit of risk? Is Pedro going to come straight in the team? Does he go with like a Welbeck, a Ferguson, in CISO? Where does he play into this? We've got so many attacking options. So it's Matoma or no one for me. And I just look at the options we have from some of the teams like Man City and Arsenal and United and think if I can have five players from those three teams, is there really room for a Brighton attacker? That's my thoughts anyway. Yeah, well, no, it's really interesting you say that about Matoma because I, I currently have him actually, but it's more of a placeholder for whichever mm. Brighton midfielder I decide I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to take a, not risk, I suppose, because maybe it's a risk. I don't know. You've, you've laid out some, some genuine concerns about them. For me, it's more just about the fixtures. I am looking at my Brighton midfielder being someone I jump off maybe game week three into mm. a Spurs midfielder or a Chelsea midfielder or something like that. That's my thinking there. But I didn't put Matoma in when I did my first draft. I went for Gross. And the reason why I went for him was obviously he is probably highest for expected minutes, probably because he can play in a number of different positions. Um, but it was more what you said there was that Matoma felt like he'd maybe become a little bit one-dimensional in his attacking play. And some of the stats that I'd seen kind of helped lend some credence to that because he was still actually getting lots of shots, but his, his shots on target plummeted in the last 10 games mm. of the season. His goal conversion went down to about, I think it was like something like 7% for quite a prolonged period towards the end of the campaign um, and so I think people were perhaps maybe still dining out on the fact that he'd done well up until that point maybe didn't want to sell him and with a completely fresh and clean slate at the start of the campaign I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to rely on a player that seemingly forgot how to score over quite a prolonged period towards the end mm. of last season and before I go any further the, the stats that I got from that of course we're all in the Fantasy Football Scout members area, so just a quick little interlude. If you've not sorted out a membership for the start of the new season, then now is a good time to do it. You can save up to 30% on those pre-season prices. And if you want to find out the answer to what went wrong with Matoma towards the end of last season, go and have a look in there. You can customise the tables and the comparison tools to uh, to give you some of that information. And yeah, certainly what I've seen in there sort of dovetails quite nicely with what you've seen specifically on the pitch in terms mm. of the actual eye test so i totally understand that actually to be honest um and as i think he's said, not a bad like, option he's not yeah. i'm not i'm not saying he's saying he's a bad option and you shouldn't start with him i think he should do well the fixtures are really nice we're a very attacking team i expect us to court, score goals it's just when i look at the midfield of and the fact you can fill it with arsenal united and city players i expect those teams to score more goals in those games and i think the players you know, particularly Rashford and, and Fernandez and, and Saka um, are, you know, the kind of the main men um, in those sides. Foden's a little bit dodgy and I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to Havertz um, in a bit. I mean, one of those, <laughs> one of those two could end up moving down to Matoma. I'm not completely ruling it out, um, but they're in for, this, for the moment. Well, I think the bottom line is, I think I saw you tweet um, the other night uh, when someone wondered if maybe it was the real ass, maybe you were sending some emergency message that you <laughs> needed <know>. help. <laughs> you said that what they could do is send you um, undeniable evidence that Matoma is essential. And mm. really, that's your point, isn't it? Is He's not a bad option, but is he essential? No, I suppose nobody is really. Oh, well, sorry, <clears throat> apart from the obvious massive Norwegian, but um, <laughs> there isn't really an essential midfielder this year. Which I suppose is, you know, Salah used to be, isn't anymore, right? Not on your team. Yeah, I mean, Sal Salah's obviously the, the big one. Um, 
I mean, I haven't I haven't even considered going without Rashford or, or Saka. Uh, you know, there, there is there is no essential, and maybe you can cover Rashford with Bruno, maybe you can cover Saka with one of the other Arsenal mids. Um, but I'm just not willing to to do that. I think those those three, um, along with Haaland, are just I just think they're good prices and good fixtures, and they're the, they you know they've they they just do everything that I want um, from from kind of fantasy picks, set pieces, you know, um, some penalties from Saka, the form that Rashford was in towards the end of last season. So those three are just locks. Salah's obviously the the big one, but I just look at those first three games and think it, it would be very different if the um, if the fixtures were were kinder. Uh, for Liverpool, um, I think we'd see him in a lot in a lot more teams. I think we'd see him in a lot more teams if Bournemouth at home was game week one fixture. I think people would be a lot more willing to to risk him. Um, but because it's in game week two, and when you set up your team, uh, you, you know you don't see Liverpool with Bournemouth at home. You see them with Chelsea away. It's not as pleasing, <laughs> you know, when you're when you're looking at your draft. Whereas it, if it was Bournemouth, I do wonder if he'd be more. Which isn't really the best way to think about it. Um, and you know what happens if Salah does score two goals against Chelsea? Are we going to suddenly see a huge surge in his ownership? We probably are, but that's not necessarily the, the best way to to play it. But in all honesty, I haven't made a draft with with Salah. Um, not one that I've, I, I've I've played around with it, but not one that I've actually contemplated going with. I just think the sacrifices you have to make in the rest of your team is too much. And you know, if you look at my midfield in this, this is all you know eight point five ish million players. And getting being able to get five of those, all from probably three of the top four teams in the league, no brainer for me. Yeah, it's definitely looking very, very powerful in that midfield. And I suppose the double up on uh, Bruno and Rashford, I think, is the one I find um, the most compelling from a potential differential kind of uh, way of th- think, thinking. Because a lot of people are going either or, and you're just going, mm. is it too much to ask for both? And you've got them both. Is that influenced? Are you really, really confident in the United attack? Are you just interested in those price points? Are you interested in those players? Lots of people have different... I've seen a couple of double-ups here and each one mm. has a different thinking behind it. I wonder which of the camps motivated you to have this double-up. I'm not totally sold on Flanders, if I'm being honest. I have I, struggled with him in, in previous seasons. He's He can go for long spells, um, not scoring returns and then suddenly come in with with a big haul where he takes a penalty and gets max bonus and maybe gets an assist um as well he's got that in him because he's got that that bonus point um potential but if the fixtures weren't as kind there's no way i'd be going the double up because i'm definitely not in the camp that manchester united are a really potent attacking force um obviously got this new um striker coming in i think he's going to take a bit of time to adapt he's only young um as well he's going to have to learn to a very intense way of, of playing and a very particular way in which Ten Hag wants his striker um, to kind of function, which actually differs from from where he was at in his, his last cover. He'd like to kind of go into the channels a bit more. He's going to have to be much more holding the play up, um, bringing other players in. And there's going to be an adjustment because it's a difficult role to suddenly come into a top performing Premier League side and, and be expected to not only score goals, but improve the general attack of the team. So I'm not expecting massive things from him, but the first three fixtures, I mean, Wolves at home, Wolves have had an awful pre-season in terms of the players they've lost, their recruitment, the signs from the manager. You know, Wolves at home in game week one has got to be about as good a fixture as it, as it gets. The, only, the other, only other fixture that's about as good as that is Nottingham Forest at home. have also had an awful pre-season, still haven't got a goalkeeper. Um, you know, barely any players fit. They've got them in game week three as well. So it's two of what I think are the nicest home games they can have where Manchester United are incredibly strong. And Spurs away, Game week two as well. Man, you have a great record of scoring goals against Spurs. Uh, these these games often have you know massively high score lines. 
again, Spurs haven't exactly had a great preseason um, either. The Harry Kane saga rumbles on. They still haven't signed any centre-backs at all. They're playing a new high-pressing, high-attacking system and they're conceding bucket loads in that. So I just think those first three for, for Man U assets are, are really, really nice. And just having one doesn't feel like you're going to gain much, but going with two means that you can tap into any, any big scores. Yeah, it's it's a classic um, turning a shield into a sword analogy, which mm. Joe famously coined a number of years ago, because there will be people that will have just one, and that will probably grey circle them, uh, for want of a be- better term, whereas you yep. can potentially get involved in you know two people involved in the same goal, get green arrows out of things that are just going to help other people stagnate. That's the that's the thinking, yeah, and and you know sometimes you need to to double up when when ownership is is high. Um, it's why I want to double up with the Arsenal mids, um, for example, because I think a lot of people are, are going for uh, you know Jesus and and or uh, up front. They're not considering some of the other Arsenal mids, and I think Odegaard, Martinelli, and I think Havertz are all, are all really good picks to, <laughs> to pair alongside Saka. Doing your absolute hardest to make me talk about him next, but I mean to be fair, it doesn't take <laughs> much because because he sticks out like a sore thumb, which doesn't he necessarily does. have to be a bad thing because you know. Um, I, I actually think I love this pick because I did the scout report on him about a month ago and I looked at a couple of the sort of the signs and the the noises that were coming out of Arsenal as if to suggest, don't worry, guys, we're not going to use him as a false nine anymore. He clearly doesn't like doing that. Um, we're going to probably use him as a new Shaka. And actually, if you play in that Shaka role, Shaka famously had this, was afforded the same number of big chances as Erdegaard last season. So it means that those two number wow. eights have goal scoring mm. potential, whoever's going to sit in that role. And so I simply said to people, don't rule him out. I went nowhere near actually owning him. And then I saw that as has got him in his team, I was like, <laughs> yes, here we go. Because then it just sort of deflects. If anybody's going to, who's the guy who's got his name attached to Havertz? It isn't me. But if he does come off, I'm going to be like, I did I did say don't rule him out. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, a, you're a, a nice, <laughs> unlosable position there. I, I envy it. But I yeah. have unfortunately put all of my eggs into this basket <laughs> and I'm going to like a right mug when uh, I have to sell him after two or three weeks, I think. <laughs> but I mean, t- talk to me about why you, you why you stuck him in because you, you actually appeared sort of surprised there about that little stab at Odegaard. Were you aware of the goal threat potential that came with him playing in the Shaka role or was there something else here? Well, I, I knew obviously Shaka got a, a, a got sort of an incredible amount of attacking returns from that role last year while having to defend more because that, he's a defensive minded player most of the time but he was unlocked a bit to to get forward and, and did really well so you've got to think if a more, more attacking player is put in that role you'd expect them to get a similar amount of chances um, or even even more and Arsenal were just such a potent attacking side that really anyone in that team can can get attacking return you know if Granit Xhaka can suddenly become a bit of a, a goal scoring or assisting machine and then I think anyone can and you know I think Havertz gets a lot of stick I've, I've given him stick before um, in the past. He can go missing uh, in games, but he was Chelsea's best performing player last season in a team that massively struggled. His conversion rate is pretty appalling. And I think he's quite easy to to mark when he's in that kind of false nine role, but where he excels, you know, for Germany, for Leverkusen is being able to ghost into positions. And with Jesus up top, you know, dragging players out of position, you've got the wide players who are so much more effective than, than any wide players that Chelsea have had. Um, in a while I just think Havertz's ability to kind of drift and lose his markers and get into goal scoring positions and then be found out by these um, kind of creative players is just so much better than it was at Chelsea and Arteta knows that that there's no other reason why Arteta is paying 65 million pounds for Kai Havertz unless he thinks he's going to bring something to that role which a they were missing 
with Chaka because Chaka did well, but he isn't as clever or as intelligent on the pitch as Havertz is. And B, if he doesn't think that Havertz has got the ability to score goals from that position, he hasn't brought him in to be a deep line playmaker. He's brought him in to be a player attacking the box from deep. You know, we've seen we've seen players do that so effectively at other teams at Ramsey, you know, Torre. These these players do so well for us, FBL wise. Or well, Erdegaard as well, literally and, on and the Odegaard. other side of the midfield. So they're already used to the idea Absolutely. of building the team around helping those two number eights ghost in and get the goals. Absolutely, and 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 Arteta has a very good record of taking players who are getting a lot of stick and turning them into players who fit a system that he wants to implement and be effective. He's done it with with Ben White. They paid 50 million for him. Everyone said he wasn't worth it. Key part of their team last season. Odegaard came in from Real Madrid on loan. He had no case season, but Arteta took him to a level which I don't think anyone, including us, expected um, him to him to step up to uh, last season. Um, you know, Chaka as well. He'd been completely written off by by the Arsenal fans, and then Arteta moulds him into this box to box midfielder, which which is so effective. He's taken players like Martinelli, turned them into to great players. And Havertz is widely regarded, or at least he was before he went to Chelsea, as one of the most gifted players of his generation in Germany. So Arteta sees something in him. All the signs are there from him. Havertz going to Arsenal being a complete flop for £65 million in his favoured position would surprise me more than if he you know, went there and, and did really well. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I think it's uh, nice to see him be brought in and used to his strengths rather than perhaps maybe bent out of shape to fit a system that exactly. just doesn't benefit him. So he's not a false nine. He's just he's just not he's not effective in that kind of striker position. He's not clinical enough. He he doesn't take his chances well enough. He hasn't got the ability to to move around the pitch like he likes. And he's wasted. He's just completely wasted there, I thought. Hmm. He just doesn't really have the upper body strength to play with his back to goal. And so therefore, no. stick the goal in front of him and ask him to ghost in. I think he's going to do much better. And I suppose, um, just bringing it back to the, the shape and structure of your team, how wedded are you to the idea of having Havertz? I suppose you've mentioned that you're not completely sold on Bruno and he, of course, is the same price uh, as Erdegaard, for example. Um, mm. You know, so, th- so there are ways you could tweak this. Uh, potentially, um, do you see yourself doing that? You know, you clearly, obviously, think that Havertz can have a good season for Arsenal, but that's that is just slightly different to you believe it enough to well, it, to build your is, team around it. That's what this, the question is. Yeah, I mean, this is it, right? This is how you can end up getting locked into these these players because do I think Odegaard is a better pick than Havertz? Probably. Like he probably is. He, he's just off the back of a 200-point season. He's Arsenal's captain. You haven't got to worry about his minutes. I think Havertz could be bought off. If the system needs changing, Partey's still around. They can bring him him on. Um, I would rather have Odegaard, but obviously the million is is being kind of used elsewhere. If Foden does end up going down to Matoma, I could do Havertz up to Odegaard, you know, or I could, you know, strengthen the bench and go for Odegaard instead of Fernandez. I'm I'm... I like, but just because I do that doesn't mean I don't. I don't think Havertz is a bad pick. It's the same as Matoma. I could end up starting the season not having Matoma, but still think he's a good pick um, in the game. So if I don't start with Havertz, I'm going to get a lot of stick because people are going to say, <laughs> "Oh, you were talking about him all pre-season and stuff." But it's like, yeah, but I did him to Odegaard. You know, like <laughs> come on, if you had to pick one of Odegaard or Havertz, even the even the, the you know the biggest Havertz admirers would still probably prefer the, the nailed-on option at an Arsenal team who's played there for for longer. And that kind of thing, but I like I I genuinely do like it to pick. I'm not just saying it to be controversial. I think he's going to do, uh, I think he's going to do well for them. He's he's flying under the radar, and if you need the money to save from Martelli or or uh, Odegaard, then I think he's worth considering. Mm. 
I mean, that's the thing. It is a spicy pick, but you it's it's not just a spicy pick for the sake of it. It's like, as really believes in his spicy picks, okay? Just remember that. That's what he's about. Um, <laughs> I suppose the trade-off here also is no Jesus, and you've got Watkins instead. So let's, let's just sort of slightly shift to your your forwards now. We don't need to talk about Haaland, even for half a second. So Watkins over Jesus at the moment. Um, Jesus did very well at the start of the last season, did very well towards the end of last season, missed the middle of the portion of the portion campaign with the injury. Uh, but you've not gone with him here for now. I suppose, again, it could all change because you've got Watkins who's the same price. Uh, is this a price-point-oriented pick? Or? There's absolutely no chance I'll start with Jesus. Ooh, I, okay. in, in the same way that I, you know, I kind of talked myself into believing in Havertz, there's some players who I just have no interest in. And... I'm surprised at the massive amounts of love that, that Jesus is is getting. I think we we've seen his role in the team for a year now, and his role in the team to me isn't out and out goal scorer. Um, he hasn't got the penalties. He's a decent player playing for a very good team, um, but he I think he disappointed last season. I think he had one big game against Leicester towards the beginning of last season. And he's kind of lived off that for, for the whole year. He he got his injury, but he came back in the team. He wasn't as effective as he was at the start of the season. I I look at him and I, I watch him play and I think he's a foil a lot of the time for other players um, to, to to perform. And I prefer Watkins. I prefer Nkunku, uh, even Jackson, something like that. I, I think there's better forward options. And I think in, in midfield, I want to I want to have two Arsenal mids. Um, I just think they're, they're the better the better picks in, in that Arsenal team. So if I have two Arsenal mids, I either go for the triple up with Jesus, which seems a little bit overkill. Triple up on attacks never really never really gone for me, gone well for me. Um, you know, or or you you go you go for the or you go for Gabriel. Mm. The defensive I think is a great pick as well. The midfielders the midfielder argument definitely makes a lot of sense. Can I ask you another difficult question? That's involved <laughs> involves some stats because I've actually been having this discussion with a lot of people this season. Mm. Um, I'm like the opposite. I'm I'm very like I'm pretty locked into Jesus for now, and I've even had some interesting discussions with my mate who's an Arsenal fan as well. Um, in the last twelve game weeks of last season, um, so that's when after Jesus came back from his injury, amongst all Arsenal players, Jesus had the highest expected goal involvement and had seven goal involvements, which was level with Martinelli and Odegaard, one more than Saka, and the only player who in the Arsenal team who had more goal involvements than Jesus after he came back from that injury was Trossard. Does that mm. change your mind? Does that make you nervous, or are you going to hold your ground uh, on this particular argument? Because it, just, it I find this really fascinating. Just some of mm. the stats behind this. It is, and. Again, I am not saying he's a bad pick. He's he's a he's a good player playing in, in a great team. And if you want him and you want your, the Arsenal striker and you believe in those stats, um, that's great. His stats have historically always been really, really good. Um, I mean, but you look at his overall returns and they are consistently not that amazing. I mean, he got uh, eight goals, eight assists the season before. Okay, he was, he was out wide for City before that. Um, he got nine goals the season before that. Um, he had a really good season in 2019 where he got 14. But that was a bit of the anomaly, really. He got seven the year before that, seven when he first joined. This isn't a player who is consistently scoring goals. His his, his kind of conversion rate is, isn't that high. And when you see him in front of goal, he never looks like a really prolific goal scorer for me. And there's certain players who are just like that. He'll get chances. He'll do okay in that system. But... I just don't. I don't think he's he's a no-brainer. Like he's in he's in everyone's team at the moment. And I look. I like to try and identify players who I just think aren't gonna maybe start the season that strong, or players that could drop in value because they're so high ownership. 
and he he's the one for me. Um, good stats, could do well, but hasn't done it historically, so I'm, I'm avoiding. Yeah, I have to. I think that the forward classification definitely doesn't help him because you know the the all of that data we just talked through is. It, I personally find it very interesting, but of course, it doesn't quite factor in the fact that those midfielders are just going to get that little bit extra reward for all the yeah. different things they do, which I think is I think is a fair point. Um, I suppose well, let, let's spin this in in a positive direction now. You haven't got Jesus, but you do have Watkins. Um, interestingly enough, um, also a player who historically has actually had issues being prolific in front of goal, and so yep, just very true on the Jesus thing. It's like, was that spell at the end of last season maybe a purple patch or has he improved? We don't know. I suppose the same question applies to Watkins. Is there something just additional with him that it makes you more convinced about him than makes you convinced about Jesus? Well, my, my different, the, the, what I like about Watkins is A, he's completely nailed on to play um, in the team. Jesus can be swapped out for Enketia. He can be swapped for Trossard to play as a false nine. You know, if, if things aren't going as well. We, I'd be very surprised if Watkins comes off because of the the what he brings to, to the, the top of the pitch in terms of his work rate and his energy and the fact that Villa don't really have any other options um, at striker. He's on penalties as well, which Jesus um, doesn't have. The fixtures are really nice. I mean, it's Newcastle away, which is obviously tough, but then I like the Everton and Burnley game. And then it's an easy switch over to uh, Nkunku or Jackson, whichever one is, is looking better. I'm kind of in, in that. And I think in terms of pre-seasons, I think Villa have had, had an incredible pre-season. The signings they've made, um, I think DRB is, is going to be a big player for them um, as well. You know, and Emery just knows what he's doing. They're one of the top teams from when from when he signed. So you're getting the talisman of the team, the chief goal threat on penalties with good fixtures, compared to Jesus, who is a cog in in the Arsenal wheel. He's he's not he's not the talisman of that team. He's foil and he's and he's a bit at risk of rotation. So I, I prefer Watkins to Jesus. Hmm. I mean, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Aston Villa's preseason has looked really good. Uh, Watkins has scored twice, got a penalty against Walsall and then also scored against Newcastle as well. Um, he's got a lot of extra help around him as well, as you mentioned. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a nice pick, uh, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I feel a bit nervous that I'm not going to have him at the start because I, I can anticipate a bit of a bandwagon with him. Whereas with Jesus, he is distracted He's almost hidden. Well, he's in a lot of teams, but if he, I don't think there's going to be a big uh, sort of surge towards him if Arsenal start well because the midfielders will distract the yeah. the people making their transfers more. Um, whereas with Villa, well, I mean, Diaby probably could do that as well. Uh, but where do you find room for Diaby in a midfield at the moment when you've got? all these picks from these big teams um you know it's, yeah. it's hard to find a striker at united right now you could have an arsenal striker but you know i totally understand why you wouldn't necessarily have one so those bigger teams you want to save room for in midfield so therefore watkins you've actually got more room for in your team even if the rb potentially outscores him even though it's just he's a midfielder but you maybe can't fit him in do you anticipate that happening or have you got your eye on drb at some point I like Diaby. I think I think he looks he looks a really fun pick. You know, he's going to be playing sort of out of position, probably just behind the striker. But again, a player like Diaby positively impacts a player like Watkins, because you've got to think with with two speedy players up up top, both know how to finish. That's more marking for other teams. That's more space for Watkins potentially, um, and it's going to make Villa a, a better outfit. And it's it's the pens that really that really sway. I mean, Diaby's still a bit of an unknown. I think he's too risky to start the season with. You know, we've seen players come over from from Germany um, and other countries and struggle a bit. Um, initially, his pre-seasons was really good. I think he's got a couple of goals um, already uh, for them. Um, but he's he's still a bit of a, a wait and see. And they've got other options that can play there. But I'm hoping that he comes in and, and boosts Watkins um, 
as as well. Uh, so yeah, he's he's still he's still the one that, that I'd pick. So I think there's there's like you say, there's more midfielders um, that I'd want over over DRB. He's quite far down the list. Mm. Well, one of those uh, is of course Phil Foden, who in many ways has sort of sat there. Um, in the corner going, guys, are you going to talk about me? Um, <laughs> because, I mean, you know, he's slowly appearing in lots more teams now. I think people have started to be a bit less concerned about rotation at the start of the campaign because he wasn't in my first draft because I just sort of went to the default position of, oh, it Man City midfielder, it won't play. You know, just very simple. But then actually, when you look into how City traditionally starts seasons, they don't rotate as much as usual. So are, are you fairly... Uh, confident that you'll have uh, Foden by the start of game week one. Well, it's it's really nice that we've got the community shield involving two two team two players that I'm looking. At. I mean, Havertz and Foden. I mean, there's a chance that one of them starts. There's a chance that neither of them starts. There's a chance that both of them start, and then I can kind of assess the the performances because it feels like for a player of Foden's talents, it seems a shame he's only going to get into the Man City team because they've sold everyone else that was a a threat to his position. You know, is he going to take the Gundogan role? Is he going to line up on the right-hand side with Mares, um going? That typically, I, I want to see him play a bit more because he he lost the faith of, of Pep last season um, after the World Cup and, and had such a, a strong opening to the season and then was just sort of unceremoniously dropped and, and barely featured again um, for them. So is he now back in Pep's good books enough that Pep is going to say well you are now my number one player they've got Kovacic you can play that kind of central midfield role um Phillips as well you know in his second season typically the players Pep signs do better I mean their second year um on the right hand side surely they're going to sign another player for the right hand side because they don't have anyone really they've got Bernardo Silva and Foden that can play on the right maybe Alvarez but it's not really typically where he's he's lined up they seem quite weak um on that side to me. So if another player comes in the right, then that does limit Foden to that that midfield role where he said he wants to play um, more of. Um, so maybe that is where he's going to end up. But he's a risky one. I do think he's a risky one because we've seen before the fact that he can he can get dropped and, and not play. So the fixtures are really nice for City in those first opening games. You know, two promoted teams in the first three games. Again, it feels like I want to have that second Man City attacker to kind of try and tap into those. Uh, and and I think Foden is is the preferred one um, at the moment, unless we see Alvarez start uh, at the weekend. And then I think six point five for Alvarez if we think he's going to get regular starts at the start of the season is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a differential, and yeah, it could be a bit of a gem. Well, so Alvarez has been sort of touted by some as potentially the Gundogan replacement, which feels a bit odd uh, when mm. you uh, on the surface. But when you have a look at some of the performances they've had, he he was sometimes operating in that sort of additional number eight slash false nine position that was very some kind of weird kind of floaty version of both combined at the mm. same time and was getting attacking returns from from that i suppose if, if he ends up being the one in that position that could maybe mean some surgery uh perhaps would you go three forwards or would you downgrade watkins and spend the money elsewhere yeah i don't know it's tricky i mean the, the obvious thing to do is if i think foden's too big of a doubt i just do foden down to matoma i mean matoma is the one that's kind of like just on the out outskirts of my thinking um, with this team and I'm not totally set on on going w- without him so you know we could see Foden down to Matoma and then Havertz up to to Odegaard I think I'm I'm fairly content with the rest um, of the team the other option is to move Foden down to Matoma um, and then strengthen um, kind of another another position I mean I could move Mbamba up to um, Jao Pedro for example at 5-5 five, five, put a bit more money in in some of these you know subs that I've got Baldock and, and Kabore um, and, and try and take those up so 
the money that I could I could use from from Foden is would be quite useful. I definitely want to have those two Arsenal mids. So that Havertz Havertz position is either going to be Havertz or or Odegaard. It'd be one of those two for sure. But the Foden one could could be anyone. It could be Alvarez if he if he looks good mm-hmm. um, for six five up front. It could be Matoma. Um, yeah, that's that's my kind of thinking with that. What Watkins again? Watkins could be Nkunku. Maybe I just go with that. But then it's the two Chelsea players. I'm still a bit unsure um, about those. So I'll, I'll probably start with Watkins and then downgrade if I need to. What I like about that is that you're not ruling out involvement in the Brighton attack and bearing in mind your allegiances to the club and the many friends you have, of course, are also Sports Home Club. It's very much going to be like the prodigal son returning home. Um, look who came crawling back to Matoma after Foden wasn't, wasn't the one. God. Well, I suppose well, that, I'd, love yeah. to, I'd love to start with Ferguson. I mean, Ferguson is the one that, that I had in kind of all my early my early pre-season drafts, because I, I think this is going to be a massive season for him. I think he could get 15 goals for us. I think he's going to cement that position, you know, over over Welbeck. And I think Undav looks like he's leaving. I think Jao Pedro plays a bit off him, similar to the role that maybe Diaby's going to have at Villa. And I think Ferguson's going to do well, but he's, he's just too risky to start with because he just has barely featured in pre-season and Welbeck's looked really sharp. So you can't start a player just because you think they're going to do well at some point in the season without the guarantees that they're going to play. So... Mm. He's the one that I really wanted to start with, um, but but can't. So kind of feels like maybe I'm just getting Matoma to, um, you know, kind of, what's the word? Uh, cover. Cover the Brighton oh, attack. The dreaded C word. Well, exactly. Oh, when when in say. reality, maybe he's not <laughs> in isolation. Maybe he's not the best FPL pick. Yeah. Well, on the same uh, subject of players who, you know, we're maybe not sure about because with that risk still around Foden, the one thing we haven't really talked about there with the Man City attack is there isn't really a challenger to Grealish on the other side. So I suppose you're, mm. you're of the view that you want two Man City attackers. And, and it's interesting because I'm not seeing Grealish in any teams, but if you are... If you are of the view you want two Man City attackers and you're not sure that Foden starts, or maybe we think he's going to get kind of swapped in and out with uh, an Alvarez, would any of that make you consider Grealish at all? Yeah, I mean Foden is 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 a kind of a a, a risk to Grealish, I guess, because Foden has, has operated on the left quite regularly for for Man City um, as well. So we we might see a bit of rotation between between those. Grealish is a funny one. I mean, I love him as a player. He's one of my favourite players in, in the league. But his role at City, I just don't think is a is a good FPL option. He plays too wide at times, doesn't always get into the most dangerous areas. You know, he played pretty much every minute of, of last season and we've got, what, 15 attacking returns? I think that's disappointing for a player of his quality playing in such a strong City team. I expected him to get, you know, 20, 25 or something like that. But... I just don't think he's really someone who we we can rely on for for kind of consistent returns. Again, he's not a bad option. It's Grealish. They've got two promoted teams in the first three. He could get a double digit in in any of those games. Um, but he's he's probably not someone I'm I'm looking at. I still I just can't get over the fact that surely he's he's how fit is he going into this season? <laughs> he's he's just, I know he's been playing some of the preseason games. He's a professional athlete, and you know, but I, I, he's the one player in that city team that I just think. Has he really been training at full capacity? Has he really been doing everything that Pep demands of his players all pre-season to get him fit enough to play 90 across all those games? I'm not sure. If he starts in the in the community shield, looks good, then it might be might be a different story. But I'm yeah. I'm holding holding fire on him for now. I think one of the lasting memes of the summer was um someone pitching the idea for the hangover four, 
but it stars Jack Grealish and it's John Stones and Carl Walker simply just trying to get Jack Grealish to England training. Like that's the, that's the, that. that's the story of the movie. That would that would be great, as Jack would say. Um, <laughs> I'd would, watch that. That yeah, sounds good. I really would watch that. Um, well, we've got only a couple of minutes left before you got to shoot off. So let's quickly talk about your defence, um, <laughs> which we, we haven't actually touched on at all. So we may have to sort of do a bit of a, a helicopter view here. But you got Steele, Chilwell, Shaw, Gabrielle. Bulldog and I think Kabore are mm. your five. Uh, you've got two four million, so my guess is here you just want three guys that you're always going to start. You're not that interested in a rotation. Exactly, yeah. And and you know it's, it's game week four when Manchester United play Arsenal. Um, that maybe you don't want to play both of those defenders, but actually Bulldog and Kabore both have decent fixtures uh, in that. Bulldog's got Everton at home. Uh, Kabore's got West Ham at home. Um, I think so. I I could you know bench one of those for for those, but realistically, I think. Arsenal are, are going to be a strong defensive unit with with Rice signing. I think Shaw gives you bonus potential and attacking potential um, as well. And Chilwell, if he's on set pieces, he's just someone you play in every in every game. I, I really like those those three picks. I like Stones as well at five five, um, and I think that is enough for me not to consider Trent, um, for example, because with the fixtures as they are at the start, I know game week two is is amazing, but I just think Chilwell, Shaw, and Gabriel is is a really nice back three. Um, and you could swap any of those out for, for Stones if you wanted to cover the Man City defence. Steele's an interesting one because I know people are worried about Verbruggen and, and his kind of role, but I'm just not worried about him. I, I just cannot see any way in which a 20-year-old signs from another country and and, and for a really demanding Zerbi, um, you know, kind of team where playing out of the back is so crucial and so important. And Steele has been doing that now for six, seven months, has looked great pre-season. Why on earth would he risk you know, disrupting that when we're already maybe losing Casado and we've already lost Colwell. He's going to want to keep a little bit of consistency um, at the start of the season. I, I, there's, I just can't see any way in which Steele doesn't start um, the season for us. And he'd have to do something pretty dramatic to lose that spot, I think. Yeah. Well, and I suppose the other thing, of course, with Verbruggen is that he, in many ways, could be seen as the European goalkeeper. As in I, I, both literally in terms certainly. of he is European yeah. and he is a goalkeeper, but also playing in Europe, which, which he has done more of <laughs> than yeah. Steele has, basically. Absolutely. And, he, you know, he's, he's a young goalkeeper. He's got loads of potential. He's, he's so highly rated and he will come in and, and usurp Steele at some point, but still has to give him a reason to do that. You, you don't you don't just mess around with your goalkeeper unless they're making mistakes or you've had a falling out of them like he did with Sanchez. There's absolutely no reason to take Steele out of the Brighton team at the moment. He's our, He is a better for the system than Verbruggen is at the moment. So to, to take him out for a 20-year-old newly signed goalkeeper would, would be a massive statement from Deserby that he, he just won't he just won't do it. He just won't he just won't do that at the start of the season. So still still safe. Yeah. I suppose one last final question then is rotation with Ariola. Uh, well I suppose we've got to see if Ariola is going to be the starting goalkeeper first, but we think that he might be. Rotation there or set and forget on steel? Set and forget. I think I hate rotating goalkeepers. It it, it just it ne- it never goes well. You always end up benching a, a player who gets a 10 points. I'd had I had Henderson and um uh awards Henderson Award last season. I mean, two, you know, pretty <laughs> how I ended up with those two is, is a mystery. But I was rotating those for the better fixtures and got it wrong every week. You know, Leicester randomly kept a clean sheet and Ward got 10 points. Next week, Henderson got a clean sheet against Liverpool or whoever it was and gets 10, 12 points. It, it happens all the time. So set and forget. Oh, set and forget 4.5 keepers. That's always how I'd like to, to play mm. FPL. 
as you say, like Deserby, why have a falling out with your goalkeeper when you could just leave him in the team, just setting just the tone, and uh, exactly. asking you no difficult questions? Unlike <laughs> me, who asked you loads today. But thank you very much, of course, as for answering those to the best of your ability. It's been great fun uh, having you around. Um, one last uh, just little plug for the members area. If you've not signed up, make sure you get your membership sorted. Up to 30% you can save with those pre-season prices. All sorts of good stuff, which you can see on the screen uh, right now. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel. That lets us know um, exactly the kind of content you want us to make because it's the ones with the most likes so make sure that you do that on the stuff that you like maybe not this one you know but perhaps the other stuff my ego doesn't need it yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't want to give make someone, his head any bigger give ed's video a few a few likes that'll, that'll, that'll cheer him up. that's the way to go that's the way to go but yeah uh, thanks as um that's everything for me and this is anything you'd like to add before um the start of the season no, nope, all good. I look forward to the inevitable abuse I get when I don't start the season with, with Havertz uh, and he scores a brace game week one and I'm getting tagged. Did you go with him? I'm like, nope, obviously I didn't. Obviously I switched him to Odegaard who got taken off on a stretcher after 20 minutes or, or whatever it was. That's normally what tends to happen uh, with these things. But yeah, I don't know what this team is going to end up looking like. I do like this team. I think that I think the team is the, the team's strong and the bench is obviously a joke, but Bulldog and Kabore actually look fairly decent options. I think, you know, both at wing back, um, both nailed on to start. I don't really want to be messing around with too much rotation. So I think they're, they're fine. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I do like the team. It's got a bit of um, uniqueness to it. It's got a bit of character. So it's got all that as good stuff, but also ticks a lot of boxes to make sure that you're not going to be left too far adrift if uh, mm. those spicy picks turn out to just be uh, bland potatoes. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it looks good. It looks good. Well, with that, I shall leave you fine, folks, to enjoy the rest of your FPL tinkering, and we shall see you next time.